the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the lake of fire, the second death. These are images that flooded my adolescent mind alongside real-life stories of pastors in Soviet prisons and mental institutions. This was all alongside the ever-present possibility of a nuclear holocaust. Fast forward to today, we have Russian hackers, disinformation campaigns, fake news, conspiracy theories, and to top it all, a global pandemic. Surely, the stage is set. I'm Paul White, and this is Apocalypse, the Book of Revelation. Join me and my special guest and friend Pete Milner as we explore what God might be saying through this incredible book to us today. Hi everyone, and welcome to another sauntering podcast with me, Paul White, and my friend and Bible scholar buddy, Pete Milner. Hi everyone. We're really excited about this study. We're having such a great time and we hope you're enjoying it. And again, we just want to give a little note of caution. We're not trying to promote a new eschatology. What we're trying to do is come as two honest guys and look at the text and are really view it with as I try and give it as unprejudiced a look as we can. And, mm. uh, I think we're we're just in really really enjoying just seeing Jesus in His glory, and find it really moving, and also incredibly challenging. Yeah, not under <laughs> this. This was not written to be easy access, no, was it? It wasn't supposed to be shorthand. It's supposed to kind of perplex us and engage us and keep us hungry, isn't it? Yeah. And we were saying in the last session how the scroll, the revelation of the gospel, really is a is sweet and bitter at the same time isn't it it's it's a profound experience really so lord we pray that you'll speak to us now again today you'll open our hearts and our minds as we reflect on this incredible book and the the living word jesus who it's all about who it's revealing jesus would you speak to us Mm. and let our lives be shaped by your spirit and by your word Amen. Amen. So, chapter 10 was quite a short chapter, but we managed to find something to talk about, surprisingly. Not not surprisingly. (laughs) It's very dense, isn't it? There's a lot in it. Not surprisingly. Yeah. Chapter 11, uh, verse 1. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to nations and they will trample, oh, sorry, to the, the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Hmm. I am going to stop right there uh-huh. and ask this question, which <laughs> to me you know really just has to be asked if john is writing this at about ad 90 something yeah there is no temple 
That's Jerusalem. right. It's been flattened, it's long just as Jesus said. Yeah. Every stone Not one taken stone down. is laying on top of the right other one. But Luke does say in chapter 21 that the city that will be trampled yes. by the nations, yes. by the Gentiles. And so talk to me, Pete. What, mm-hmm. are we, what are we looking at here? What's this saying to us? Um, well... I think this is best solved by looking at prophecy in the Bible as a whole. And don't worry, I'm not going to start with like Isaiah 1, chapter 1. But the point is that we in the West especially often view prophecy in a very sort of faulty way. We right. tend to think that what we're doing is we're foretelling. Mm-hmm. And so any act of prophecy or work of prophecy must be predictive. Future. Yeah, I predict that this person will become cre- uh, president or, you know, it will not rain for the next three and a half years. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, other examples like that are, are replete. But actually the vast, vast majority of the texts of the biblical prophecies are not written explicitly in that way. They're not right. meant to just be foretellings. They're mainly commentaries on things that are present or quite imminent quite soon. You know, um, you know, before the little boy is, is weaned, the disaster that you face will be gone from you, the king of Assyria. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's even a commentary on the past. Yeah. You know, so sometimes someone like Amos comes in and he says, look, here's the, the prophecy. And the prophecy is a commentary on the events that have led up to this terrible right. point we find ourselves in. Almost in the form of a narrative being told. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's a way of understanding the state we're in. Mm-hmm. And so the someone said once, the best way to understand it is rather than someone looking ahead with a telescope at yeah. what's coming, you should think about a person rowing a boat across a lake mm-hmm. and you're pointing backwards you know, you're facing backwards, but rowing forwards. And your vision largely concerns things that are underway or you've already gone mm-hmm. past, but you're seeing them in a fuller, kind of more uh, kind of clear light. And occasionally you get a glimpse over your shoulder to check you're on the right path. Yeah. And you do see what's ahead a bit. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's consistent with take, yeah. the likes of Isaiah, Ezekiel, mm-hmm. Jeremiah. Most of the stuff they had to say was about what was underway already. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I think this may be a kind of prophetic commentary on the destruction of the temple. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've got the temple and the altar and those who worship. And John's being has the ability to sort of measure it somehow. But he's saying, leave out the outer court because that would be given to the Gentiles. But you're right, you know, the Jerusalem temple is almost definitely destroyed at this mm-hmm. point. It was knocked down in 70 AD, along with the whole city of Jerusalem. And so either this is a commentary on Jerusalem as it was, and it's a sort of prophetic picture, or maybe we're talking about new Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, mm. that emerges later on in the text. Maybe we're talking about a rebuilt Jerusalem in history, in you know what to us in the 21st century would still be the future where they rebuild the temple there's a lot of people that are very very interested in the in the possibility that a jewish israelite temple might be rebuilt on the temple mount some people assure me that it's already being planned but i have been unable (laughs) i've been unable to confirm those reports neither confirm or deny yeah and for me i think that the the historical rebuilding of a third temple is not necessary for the unfolding of the plan of God as it's presented in Revelation. That's my 
Well, it's interesting we will get to verse 19, which references a different temple, which we'll get to, but we've got to get there. But but to me, I mean, Jesus said some very explicit things about the temple. He said, number one, it's going to come down. Number two, he said to to the Samaritan ladies, you know what? It's not going to be about worshipping in Jerusalem or in this mountain or that mountain or anywhere else. But actually, the Father is looking for worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth. That's the kind of... And, you know, I mean, and so Jesus seems to kind of dispel that desire to focus on a holy place. Holy geography, yeah. And yet we've got these statements, you know, which are really... They're loaded, aren't they? Because yeah. he says here, um, it's given over to the nations, verse 2, and they will trample the holy city for yes. 42 months. Well, the holy city for a Jew would only be Jerusalem, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And so, and then he says this about these two witnesses, that they'll prophesy for this 12. period of time. What's yeah. that? About a bit, less than, days, bit less than four years? Clothed in sackcloth. And then we read on up down a bit further that that actually seems to happen in Jerusalem as yeah. well, and uh, that is the rough timeline. I mean, I, I can't swear to the historical details because they can be counted differently by different people, and um, I don't memorize them. But the Jewish War of seventy A.D., sort of sixty nine mm. to seventy one, seventy two A.D., um, where the zealots and and the the Jewish nationalists they got together an army and tried to overthrow the Roman Empire and and free their nation from Roman occupation. And it was Titus, the the later emperor of Rome, who led an army and brought his legions in. And they did not only desecrate and trample the temple, they killed everyone. You know, they tore it to shreds. And over the course of a couple of years, um, Israel, Judea, Jerusalem were unrecognisable as, as, you know, a, a functioning place or country yeah. at all yeah. completely devastated and that kind of timeline would perhaps sit quite squarely mm-hmm. in with the historical data <clears throat> of 70 AD and yet it is hard for us to think that that this description of of the temple and it, it reads like a prediction doesn't it it so does if it's yeah. a retrospective one that's, that's meant to be prophetically enlightening then great but the reason why people still expect a third temple in the future to be built on in Jerusalem is because of things like this. Yeah, and you know the, the some of the comments of Jesus about the abomination that causes desolation. Yeah. And was it that, or is it yeah. something else that's still yet to happen? Because then he says, you know, after this, the end will come, and it's like, well, after like how long? Yeah, after like twenty centuries, or like <laughs> after a few years, or it's different. I think, yeah, from the vantage point of. 2000 years on mm. it's kind of hard to really understand this will soon take place or you know what those after this time mm. what those kind of expressions actually mean isn't it in terms of actual our normal chronological way of measuring time yeah. it's hard to get it all together soon means quite a different thing if you write it in the first century and someone reads it in the second century and they read soon you think well gosh we must be nearly there yeah but if we're reading it on the 20th century after the fact then it's like soon kind of looks like something else or it feels even more urgent and then it's like well was it really soon yeah yeah when i used to read this stuff as a young person many years ago now i when 
he said, behold, I'm coming soon. I would mm. think, gosh, soon. soon that is... is soon. So, right, I should be absolutely ready. And mm. I'm sure that instinct to be absolutely ready was a correct one. Yeah. An appropriate response. But, you know, kind of like, Whoa, where are we in yeah. this? <laughs> and, and that is so, the apocalyptic texts yeah. in general. It's we, meant to make you feel that same yeah. urgency of mortality and the imminent end of... A, your own life, but B, the sort of futility of trusting in the world and its systems to outlast. It's like none of it can be trusted. Only Jesus can be trusted. So let's just look, Pete, at these two witnesses for a second. Yep. I will grant authority. Again, we've got this sense that this has been given to them. So we've seen the horrible dark forces being given power mm-hmm. and so on to do certain things now he god is speaking saying i will grant authority to my two witnesses and that word there is martus again yeah. which we get martyr from so these guys um and they will prophesy for this period of time clothed in sackcloth and i'll, I'll just read on through to get the sense of what they're from doing verse four yeah yeah so these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, if anyone has been reading the book of Zechariah, you'll know that they get a mention in there. So that's quite an interesting reference. So verse four again, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. <laughs> and when they finish their testimony, they the beast that rises up from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them and their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city that is symbolically called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. Well, we now know exactly which city we're talking about without ambiguity, don't we? So I'm going to carry on. For three and a half days, some of the... Some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. (laughs) Wow. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. I just wanted to read the whole thing so yeah. we don't sort of try and kind yeah. of jump in and you know explain the end before we've read it Mm. so these two witnesses some people think um it's best to name them as particular prophets so enoch and elijah are common because because they didn't die in the traditional sense they they went up to heaven and were there as they are so um they they presumably are like lampstands before god in that way and you remember from chapter one you know the seven lampstands that were before Mm-hmm. the um 
throne and, and when John is introducing the whole thing, those are the seven churches, aren't yeah. they? So some people like to say, oh, no, this is two churches or two covenants even. Maybe we're talking about the old covenant and the new covenant mm-hmm. coming together, the Jew and the Gentile maybe being sort of having the right of testimony in Jerusalem when the abomination destroys them and and, dis, uh, and wipes them all out. But then they experience the, the, the breath of life from God and they're resurrected and, and sort of stomp onwards to, to, um, stetch, uh, to establish the church in every nation. Other people like the idea of it being Moses and Elijah, mm-hmm. partly because they are the ones who appeared on yeah, the mountain with Jesus. Yeah. And partly because the plagues that these guys seem to have are ones that Elijah and Moses collectively had. So that right. you've got the plagues, you've got fire from heaven, you know, you've got um, uh, water into blood. Mm-hmm. And it's stuff that, that we remember from Moses yeah. and Elijah. So maybe they're kind of back in the ring again. Um, I think that sits poorly against um, what Jesus said about Elijah, which was that people wanting Elijah to come, well... For those who understand it, Elijah has come and yeah. they've already done what they wanted yeah. to do with him. So, you know, he, he didn't see John the Baptist as um, Elijah reincarnated in a strict yeah. sense, did he? He saw it as a, 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 I guess, figurative, I guess symbolic, yeah. but it's more than that, isn't it? It's yeah. a, a fulfilment of a prophecy. More that of Elijah a would re-emergence come. of his ministry in, yeah. through a different individual. Or his mantle, maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah to, to say, you know, prepare the way for the Lord <clears> and... You know, John recognised Jesus as such. So I, I think in a way there's there's merits in all of them, but it's still, I think, my automatic assumption based on the way I was raised and the things I was taught you know, from a young age is that these will be two people who will literally appear at some point in future history where they'll be in Jerusalem and they'll just have this astonishing power over over the natural laws and everyone is going to hate them Mm -hmm. and they're going to continue to testify about Jesus. So maybe it will be a literal future fulfilment. Maybe it's something we're supposed to see with more apocalyptic ambiguity. I don't know. Mm. What do you like the sound of? Well, I've, I've been fascinated by the little scenario in Zechariah with mm. the, the olive trees, the lampstands. Yeah, the gold pipes and yeah. the gold two trees before. And him. then he's, the Zechariah says, who are these, Lord? And he says, oh, these are the two anointed to serve the Lord of all mm. the earth, to stand before the Lord of all the earth. Yep. And we, we know the two kind of central characters in the book of Zechariah are yeah. Zerubbabel, who's like heir to the throne. He's, <coughs> he's the, the sort of main candidate got. to be the one who inherits David's yeah. title. Yeah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, who is a high priest. Yeah. He, so you've got this dual ministry of priest and king. Yes. Represented with these two guys. Yes. But the margin reading of when it says they're anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth mm. it can be read. Sons of fresh oil, mm. and I love that because my book is all about the anointing the of the Christ Holy Spirit, yeah. yeah, glorious, and how that empowers human beings. And yeah. so, if I look at these two guys, mm. maybe they're just a token to witnesses, yeah. Martus, you and I also are part of mm. that incredible, great body of people who are called to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit is given to empower us to be witnesses. Yeah. You know, Jesus said. So I wonder whether, you know, maybe I don't want to stretch it and do my mm. shoehorn thing to get it to fit. But I think there, whether there there are two individual people yet to come, yet mm. to be revealed with these sure. powers. 
I think nonetheless they also speak to us about our ministry and our mandate on the earth. We are to be anointed yep. with the Holy Spirit to with power. faithfully preach the gospel whether people to love us or hate us. Testify to the yep. priests and kings and nations and stuff. Yep. And it's interesting because these guys do have the power or the authority, um, exousia, to shut up the sky. So this word is about mm. authority. And, yes. Um, as well as power. So they have that power. It doesn't tell us that they do it all the time. No. Or I mean, you could it... say I strike the earth with plagues as often as I like because I haven't liked to at all. So <laughs> zero is the amount. But they appear to have the... the, the they wield it with yes. such perfect sort of sync. And I, I suppose part of me thinks, well, is their testimony... Mm-hmm. The re- is the reason they're so hated yeah. is that because they're giving this testimony, which is the word there is from the mm. same word as Martus, it's like this idea of giving testimony before a judge. So they're giving this like true testimony of Jesus to mm. the earth. And the message again is sweet in the mouth, but yeah. it's bitter in the stomach. It's and not... will be fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Yeah. Let me, let me go there. So, in Zerubbabel and Joshua are two Persian era characters who mm-hmm. are real people. And as you say, one's a candidate for son of David. Mm-hmm. Let's make him king. The other one's the candidate for great high priest and in the tradition of Aaron and the Levites. Yeah. So they were like, let's make him high priest. And God speaks over both of them and says, you know, these are my signet rings. These are my anointed ones. They are the ones I've chosen yeah. for this job. And then he says, right, Joshua, in you get, buddy. I'm putting you in. Um, get started with your ministry and such. But to Zerubbabel, he says, oh, by the way, that's not going to happen. You're not going to be king. And neither will your son, neither will your son's son. I'm going to keep the line alive, but I've got a better plan Mm -hmm. for the one to inherit the title of David. And when Jesus arrived, is he not the great high priest? Of course he is. Who will testify and minister before the Lord forever, according to the book of Hebrews and the apostles. Great. And is he... Messiah, son of David, to inherit the David's throne for all eternity as king over God's people. Mm-hmm. Yes, he absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Wow, we, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is the book of Hebrews wrapped yep, up in a little yep, boat. Yep, yep. So, when Jesus comes, he fulfills those two witnesses' testimonies, and as you say in Zechariah, they're described in a very similar way. Yeah, here they're prophets, and it's like Jesus fulfilled the sense of the priesthood. He fulfilled the sense of the um, the kingdom. But he did not, it seems, put an end to prophesying. No. And that's still something that, you know, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, yeah. says Revelation. Somehow he still got to come and fulfill the prophetic ministry. Not, you know, here of these two witnesses, but also of the prophethood of all believers, the testifying Amazing. ones, the witness of the the martyrs, the testify, the church. Yeah. We are the prophetic community. And then we have to keep proclaiming until the day he comes. And that's why I see these two witnesses as the Jews and the Gentiles that are the foundation of the church. Because they still have to prophesy about um, all the same things. You know, we still have to proclaim the coming return of Christ. And so until he comes to fulfill it perfectly, it will remain undone. You know, yeah. maybe there will come two people who literally stand in Jerusalem to do that it. in a very unique yeah. way. Yeah, I'll, no one will be more pleased about than me. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, they're champions, aren't yes. they? Yes. But it's interesting. Just right back in in John's early, you know, the first chapter, he says that he he's talking about Jesus. He says he's 
freed us from our sins by his blood and made yeah. us a kingdom yes. priest to his god that's right you know yeah. and it's a sense of being a kingdom of priests of yeah. kings and priests yeah and peter says um, the same thing royal priesthood. yeah you're a chosen people royal priesthood you are the, the priests and the kings and, and we and in that sense the church is like we're not just the spectators with the flags cheering him on are we yeah. we are the body of christ we are the representation of and, those and i think again and again we see in this book we see these human actors mm. brought in to play their part so yes. we have john giving this mandate to prophesy in the last chapter mm -hmm. now we've got these two guys who are also prophets they're also witnesses and they're you know they're i mean they classically fit the you know they love not their lives so much as to shrink yeah. from death you know yeah. and, and they they were there prepared to die for their message um hated by the world because the message they bring isn't all that <laughs> it's bitter to them yeah, yeah. and yep. but also god is striking the earth mm. on, their them, so. on their behalf yeah yeah and because of their message and it's like whoa uh, mm. is this a sort of another snapshotish kind of way of looking at the book of revelation mm. or, or is this just a particular event in it but yeah particularly exciting well it is interesting because this is all ahead of the final trumpet mm -hmm. coming in isn't it yes and lots of people are very comfortable with the idea that the last trumpet will mean the real end of everything mm -hmm. you know the end of history the yeah. end of the universe as we know it and it, it may be that that we should see it that way that there's mm -hmm. a lot of ways in which you could see it fulfilled or represented but there will come a, a sort of crowning moment where it's obviously... Yeah. I think just one other point to pull out, Pete, before mm. we move on is is that... Um, well, there's a couple more, really. <laughs> we could say a lot more. Well, we, we but, could. Um, they, they're, they're hated by the world, mm -hmm. but their real enemy manifests himself, doesn't it? Verse 7. Yeah. When they finish their testimony, so when that, again, that sense of completion, their ministry's done, yeah. the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Yes. And you realise, yeah, the hostility that the world and people feel towards these two witnesses is only a manifestation of the hostility that is in mm. the heart of this beast. Yes. This destructive monstrous being who's character, coming yeah. up out of the bottomless pit the very fact that he comes from the bottomless pit means we don't want to know him <laughs> we don't want to be his <laughs> we friend. don't like him no yeah. and it's difficult because at this point in the narrative we haven't seen the beast in, no. in inverted commas no. you know we haven't seen the beast that emerges out of the sea because that's comes along <laughs> in a couple of chapters time we have seen Abaddon the destroyer come up yep. out of the bottomless pit and we have seen the star that fell to the earth mm -hmm. and, and had the key to the bottomless pit and led him out there in the first place so you could ask the question you know is this a a single human being person who yeah sort of do this thing or is it the sort of satanic you know personification of, of everything that is ungodly or is this just an advanced look at the beast who will appear um in chapter well, 13 and 14 i think it's really interesting when i was at school we studied milton paradise lost right, right one yeah. of our texts and, oh gosh uh, i mean it's a phenomenal work of literature but mm. um just mind-boggling but he actually at one point addresses uh, satan addresses the other demonic kind of entities yeah as 
a pantheon of gods. Right, yeah. And, you know, you get this sense, right, Milton really, he was a classicist. He knew the yeah. classical Greek stuff. And so Roman he knew stuff, all these yeah. names of these different beings. And mm. he characterizes demonic forces in hell or yeah. in the pit, wherever that is. The abyss, yeah. As he gives them these names mm. that we're familiar with already from Greek mythology. But you kind of wonder whether... Milton was actually just indulging in a flight of fancy mm. or whether actually he was not far off. Maybe. And whether there is a kind of, dare I say, I don't mean it in the same, in a, you know, like a pantheon of demonic yeah, yeah. powers and Abaddon, Lucifer, you know, the beast from the sea or, or whatever else. Yeah. yeah. Are they all I, I'm quite comfortable that? with the idea. You know, what I feel is important that I disagree with Milton on mm-hmm. is that for me, Satan is not in Eden because he's been thrown out of heaven. He's in Eden because he has the freedom of entry between heaven and earth at that point. And it's only right. when Christ appears that Satan's like, uh, I know why you're here. I'll make you an offer. You know those nations you've come to get that are mine? I'll give them to you if you'll only worship me. You know, mm. here's my roll of the dice. I'll, if you'll just bow down and worship to me, you don't have to die. You don't have to bear the wrath of God. I'll give you the nations if you'll just bow down yeah. and worship me. And Jesus resists that. And then he proclaims the kingdom of of, of heaven is, is at hand. He's, it's come. And then he, the first thing he does with his authority, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I'm giving it to you. So go and yes. drive out demons and proclaim the kingdom and see salvations, raise the dead, heal the sick, you know, do all the things that I do in my authority, in my mm. name. And it's at the time where he um, disperses that to the 72. When yeah. they come back, that's when in Luke chapter 10, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I truly have the, the sense that that is the moment at which heaven is closed to Satan. So that thing that Job experienced where Satan sort of comes right. up into the council of God and yeah, God's yeah. like, oh yeah, what have you been up to? And he's like, oh, roaming around the world, going to and fro. And, you know, Bates and, and you know, mm. there's that extraordinary engagement between God and Satan in heaven. I truly believe that as of the incarnation of Christ, the proclamation of the kingdom, the establishment of the kingdom on earth, Satan's access is now closed. It's interesting because we got something that might throw a little spanner into that theory sure. in the next chapter. But yeah, no, well, <laughs> that's great. That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but no, I, I, I hear you, Pete. Mm. And for sure, when Jesus was crucified, he disarmed these powers and took all these things and nailed them yeah. to the cross, didn't he? Yeah, and God did not spare those angels who sinned, but bound them up and chucked them in. And so now Satan's kind of letting them out because he's got permission to for a while, but... Hopefully that won't last forever. Is this is a mystery, ladies oh, and gentlemen? Glorious, isn't it? <laughs> so um, <laughs> let's read on. So this is um, so then he he pulls up these two witnesses to heaven. I yep. mean that for me is probably the best rapture we've got in the in Revelation explicitly yeah. in the book of Revelation. Sure. I'm not saying there isn't any reference to it no. anywhere else, but um, but this is just. For these two witnesses or what they represent, hmm. perhaps if they have got a wider. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, verse 14. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is to come. So remember the eagle flew over and said, woe, woe, when these next three trumpets blow, it's going to be mm-hmm. woes on the earth and stuff. 
So verse 15, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, this isn't just one voice anymore, the loud yeah. voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and Woo-hoo! he shall reign forever and ever. And he and, shall Yeah, reign. absolutely. And Handel wrote a whole beautiful piece yes. about it, didn't he? Glorious. Um, and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones, verse 16, before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is, or who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and, and begun, begun to, to reign. reign. Yes. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and earthquake. And heavy hail. This is of cosmic significance. My isn't word, it? is it Wow-wee. ever? Wow, Yeah. So, where do we begin? Golly. <laughs> um, so, there's the loud trumpet. There's the this great announcement. Yes. Isn't it? And what a what a statement. Is where's the woe? Yeah. So there's a third woe to come, and here it is. It's an announcement. It's but but really in that summary that yes. they all say we've yeah. got really. The the nations raged, but your wrath came. The yes. time for the dead to be judged. This is this is not a trivial day, no, is it? This, no, is, this a, is the coming this is the day of... of the Lord that the whole Bible has been yearning and reaching for, isn't it? Yeah, and and the covenant people, because it's all of those prophets and saints and the servants of God who are yep. vindicated by this coming of the kingdom. You know, the dwelling place of God has come. Um, you've taken your great power and you've begun to reign. I think that's so important because. God's temple in heaven, which I think when, when he gets the measuring stick earlier and he's measuring the temple, maybe he's measuring the temple in heaven. Maybe. You know, I, I think that yep, would do. Yep. Um, but the Ark of the Covenant is seen in the temple. And it's like, well, some people are very, very hopeful that the Ark will be dug up in a yes. hole somewhere in on Ezekiel's earth. tomb, or maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I don't think so. You know, for me... The Ark is lost as of Nebuchadnezzar and it, yeah. it's never mentioned again in terms of... So the, Indiana Jones has got a lot of looking to do, but he ain't going to find it. Yeah, he, he can look all he likes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the wrath of God came and it, the time has come for the dead to be judged. It's difficult to escape the sense in which this is a future kind of, uh, what would you say, crescendo fulfilment apex mm-hmm. yeah. of, of history. This it is certainly a, reads like that, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. But... So does the payment on the cross for all yeah. of humankind's yeah. sin, which, as we know, is a historic fact. And yeah. uh, the establishment of the kingdom of God upon the earth, not in terms of a, a Israelite kingdom in the traditional mold, but as the kingdom of heaven from every tribe, and nation and language and people and tongue. You know, for me... And this, surely Jesus has begun to reign. He sure has. A long time. Deny him at your peril. <laughs> Today, in yes. 2022, 20, whatever we're in, yes, he's he's been reigning since then, since forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but there's something about the his, fulfillment here, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's very very difficult to to know for sure what is meant, except 
that these key truths about God yeah. can be known, that he is um, the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. You know, he is the one who's taken his great power, established the reign of God upon the earth. The nations have raged against him, but the wrath has come and the time for the dead to be judged yeah. and, and the reward for the servants and the prophets and the saints. Oh, Ephesians chapter one, he says that his purpose is to bring everything under one head, even Christ. Yes. And we do have this here, don't we? The kingdom of the world mm -hmm. has become the kingdom of our Lord yes. and of his Christ. So whatever, I don't think the devil ever owned it, but whatever, <clears throat> whatever power whatever and authority claim he had, he had yeah. yeah, whatever claim, um, it's all been it's now taken rubbished. back off of him yes. legally and finally. Yeah. And he, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus shall reign forever and ever. I yeah. Mean, Amen. Joe, don't you love it? The I kingdom do. of our Lord and of his Christ. Yeah. His Messiah. The Messiah is his Messiah. That's right. Ah, oh, come on. And Hebrews 2 has that sense, doesn't he? He says, you know, that everything will be laid at the feet of Jesus. Um, mm. But at present, we see that not everything yeah. is yet under his feet. So it's like mm -hmm. the kingdom is come. It is now and it is established on the earth yeah. and he is reigning. But we still see there's there's final pieces still yeah. to come into alignment on there. There's still and some we have the have two do. witnesses doing this extraordinary job whilst they're hated and loathed yeah. and whilst this horrible person. Persona emerges from the pit to, yeah, to kill you know, and, and sling. And so it's kind of like, whoa, there's a not yet aspect to that. But yeah. then here we have this final statement, don't we? Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, God's temple in heaven. I know, I think really for me, the only temple that you and I should be excited about, surely is the temple in heaven that everything else was a representation of. Yeah. A third temple really doesn't serve the purposes of God. No. In the sense that Jesus, you know, and the writer to the Hebrews declares that temple obsolete. Yes. And the practices that were going on there of sacrificial mm. death of animals yeah. and so on. Because the constant. Is now obsolete. So what we're interested in is what that always ever was speaking about, yes. which is a heavenly reality. With an earthly representation yeah. of that reality. And do you not know that you yourself are God's temple? Yeah. Living on. stones built together to be a house for the yeah. Holy Spirit on the earth. That is what the earthly, you know, I think... The earthly temple was a imitation of the heavenly pattern. Yeah. And I think that the earthly Ark of the Covenant, the earthly tabernacle was a heavenly reality that they were given instructions to make an earthly representation of. And so the heavenly reality is unchanged, mm. but the earthly reality is substantially changed by mm. the establishment of the church as the temple of God. That's mm. how I read this. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting as well, just going right back to verse one there, that where where he says to measure the temple. Mm. Even in Ezekiel, when uh, when they get to measure stuff, it's always seems to be to do with, you know, like the vision of Daniel, the handwriting on the mm. wall. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Yeah, You've yeah. been measured up. It's you haven't justice, measured up it? yet. And so when God is measuring, and so it could be that even. In this, there's a there's a little warning that God actually is measuring up the His living temple on the yeah. earth, and He's saying, "Right, you know what? It's going to be some trampling going on." Yeah, 
I don't know how, how far we could take that thought, but oh, I, mean, I I think that the the rest of this text, you know, the rest of Revelation does kind of answer the challenge, and what we're all sort of left with is this eager expectation for the very final fulfilment of all of the things mm-hmm. we've hoped for, aren't they? You know that that the earthly reality would be the same as the heavenly one absolutely Your right like like eden you know the, the, on earth as it is in heaven yeah, yeah. and that, that will all be completed and renewed and experienced that same resurrection power that yeah. same inculcation of the holy spirit you know the breath of heaven blowing yeah. on every ounce of it with nothing left out you know nothing mm. no piece of rebellion left that that's what we're really hoping for come isn't on it? come on so lord jesus we are so excited and yet so trembly as we read this yeah. stuff. And Lord, we just say, let your kingdom come. Mm. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, let us not trivialize that statement. No. Let us really understand the full implications of it and give ourselves tirelessly to labor for that end. Mm by the power of the Holy Spirit who has anointed us like he's anointed these two witnesses in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.